Uh, we, if you have not been with us last week, we started a new teaching series in the book of First John. And the title of our series is Being a Real Spiritual Person. And that, as I mentioned last week, is not in reference to being like a really spiritual, super spiritual person. It's in reference to being a genuine, authentic, a real spiritual person. And, and in the context of our lives and, and in busyness and everything that happens, I think sometimes those two things don't always seem to go along together. Uh, we, we, we fall into this place, I think, from time to time where we feel like we have to almost put on a good face to be spiritual. We have to smile and be happy and say everything's okay. And, and that's not always the truth. And I believe that John was writing this book to, as we'll see today, talk about some um, in, in, inaccuracies, some inauthentic representations of following Jesus to address those and, and bring them uh, it, kind of into line with what it means to be authentic and spiritual at the same time. Last week we talked about the incarnation. We looked at just the first few verses uh, and the idea that God became a person. And because God became a person, He understands you. He, he gets you. He, he knows what you've been through. He's been through what you've been through. He's felt your pain. He's walked that road. And so we have a God who really can't identify with who we are. Today we're going to continue uh, in the next section, beginning in chapter 1, verse 5, and going through the beginning of chapter 2. Um, I want to give you a little cultural context first, though. So the Bible was written in, a, in, in context. It was written in a culture addressing issues that happened at that day. And today, our day is different than that day. Uh, and yet there is a cultural context today in which we can read Scripture and apply it to our lives. And so I want to give you a little cultural context this morning. Probably most of you, I would think, I don't know if all of you, but many of you are familiar with the recent court case involving Bill Cosby. Cosby was uh, convicted of sexual assault and sentenced to 30 years in prison. He was uh, convicted on three counts uh, of sexual assault, but actually had faced accusations from over 60 different people. Um, I grew up as a kid, when I was a kid, I listened to Bill Cosby records. I would buy record albums of Bill Cosby's comedy, and I loved those. I would listen to them over and over again. They were so funny. Um, when Donna and I got married, shortly after we got married, we went and saw Bill Cosby in concert. And we, and we, we loved it. It was so funny. It was great. And the reason we went was because he was a clean comedian. He didn't use bad language and tell dirty stories. All of his humor was about family stuff, and, and, and it was real and it applied to our lives, but it was so stinking funny. He was so good. We just enjoyed that. We both remember it very fondly. And then, of course, most of you will, many of you will remember later in the 80s, uh, he was on TV in the Cosby Show and really became America's dad. He became a role model and, and uh, a person that people respected and looked up to and loved um, in a very real way. You might also be familiar with the name uh, Larry Nasser. Larry Nasser is not a celebrity and maybe not as well known as Cosby. Uh, he was the doctor for the United States gymnastics team for a number of years, many, many years, and was also recently sentenced uh, to prison for sexual assault. His sentence, though, is 175 years, which uh, is another way of saying that he will, in fact, spend the rest of his life in prison. Over 150 women came forward to accuse Larry Nasser uh, of sexual assault that took place over a 20-year period of time. And again, here we have someone who is a trusted figure who is, uh, when you think of a doctor, you think of a healer. You think of someone you go to for help. 
And here was a, a case where a person that was to be trusted was not trustworthy. There have been in the last few years any number of scandals involving, involving politicians who have also been accused of various activities that uh, were not becoming of them and very often were different than their public persona. There's at least three senators, state senators, that I'm aware of in the United States in the last two years that were running on a, on a very conservative pro-life platform who also uh, were, had paid for their mistresses to have abortions because they had become pregnant through the relationship with those people. And it kind of goes on and on and on. That's the context of the culture we live in today. And what does this have to do with First John is the question you're asking right now. Um, and, and here's what it has to do with it. In each one of those cases... These people had a public persona. They had an image that was put forward that was uh, completely different from who they really were. They looked like and sounded like and acted like one thing out in life, but were in fact someone completely different than that in private. They were not genuine or authentic in any way. And when John wrote 1 John he was addressing claims by people who were following Jesus, or at least purporting to follow Jesus, uh, but really had some very different ideas of what that looked like and how that worked out in their lives. So how do you know? How do we know what is authentic, what's real in a relationship with Jesus, and, and what's not? How do we determine authenticity? In this section uh, of Scripture that we're going to look at today, John gives us some guidelines related to that. I want to, I, I'm going to just give you a forewarning. The topic today, the theme of the passage is sin. I've got to say, that. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I planned this series out and I didn't realize that this message would fall on Mother's Day. <laughs> there, there, somebody asked me, was that a coincidence? I said, yes, that was a coincidence. There's absolutely no connection between it being Mother's Day and this topic, so just know that up front. Uh, but uh, in eight verses, John uses the word sin or sinner nine times. How do we know what it means? How do we know when, we're, when we've entered into sin or when we're not? It's a challenging thing that we have before us all the time. If you look at, again, our culture and society today, very often it's sort of majority rule, Right? 60% of the vote, whatever, if you're on a, on a trial, you know, the majority, however it works, is majority rule. So as, if the majority says this is sin or isn't sin, is, is that the case? The flip side of that, I suppose, is in our postmodern culture today, it's, it's not majority rule so much as it's all about what I think. My truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, and what, I, what is okay for me might not be okay for you, but that's okay because it's okay for me, even if it's not okay for you. So it's really about what I think. So how do, how do we know? How do we know? How do we gauge uh, when we've entered into a place that's not authentic and genuine in relationship with Jesus? John says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And the only way that we can know, the only accurate measurement is the character of God. God is all light, all good, all the time, and there's no darkness in him. That's the measurement. So our title today is Walking in the Light. And I want to just pray real quick, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into this passage. Father, thanks so much for your word. 
I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts today, Lord, that you could cause us to see your goodness and the depth of your love and care for us, even as we heard this morning, just how much you love us. Uh, like the little infant just being held, and each of us is an infant and in, in just in your arms, and you're holding us and looking at us and loving us even now. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm going to start with uh, verse 5 of chapter 1 and read through verse 2 of chapter 2. This is one of those places where it's a... Uh, not, the, the chapter break comes at a not, not a good point. It was a mistake there. Somebody made. I don't know who, but not me. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John is here addressing three different teachings that had risen up in different groups of people. Again, as we said last week, this was early in the history of the church. And um, the, the theology, as we understand it, was still being formed. It was, it was, it was still, still being made known. And there was uh, different groups of people that were saying different things about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And so John is here identifying three of those teachings that he sees as inaccurate and then he gives the truth related to those. This is, this is what people are saying, and here's what is right. And so I want to look at each one of those in turn. The first one is in verses 6 and 7. It says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. The, um, the first deception that John identifies and addresses is that my sin doesn't have any impact on my relationship with God. People were saying, you know, hey, look, it's okay. It's okay if you walk in sin because God overlooks that. He's, he's bigger than that. He doesn't really care about that so much. I can still walk with God and continue in my life the way that it is today. You know, it's okay if I cheat on my taxes because, gosh, I built this business the government didn't, and I don't really feel that's right that I should have to give them that much money. It's okay if I'm unfaithful to my spouse because I really, really, really love this other person. It's okay if I am just a little bit, a little bit corrupt, a little bit misleading in some of my business practices because, gosh, you know what? I mean... Look, I go to church. I raise my hands and worship sometimes. I even tithe. And so it's okay. And John says, you know what? That's not possible. That's not going to work out. If you continue to willingly live in habitual sin, it will impact your relationship with God. And, and let me make sure I clarify this morning. We're talking about 
Patterns of sin in our lives that are, that are habitual, that are chronic, and that are willful. We've made a decision to go a direction, and we've justified that direction. We're not talking about the random time you lose your cool, right? We're not talking about those, those sins that happen in the course of our lives, and then we, we immediately feel bad about it, and we say, I'm sorry, God, and we try to turn around. We're talking about those things that just continue on. The Bible connects a couple of things that had up to this point in time previously not been connected, and those are the worship of God and our character. In other religions, you could worship God and still live an immoral life, and there was no inequity between those things. But in Scripture, God began to change that and say, no, this is what I've required of you. And all through the Old Testament, we see that God requiring certain behavior of His people, not just worship, but that they... they acted in a certain way towards one another and towards others. God rose up different prophetic voices. People like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos were called prophets of righteousness. And they would speak, they would say, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is the kind of fasting that I've called you to, to be kind and loving and caring to one another. I I, I, I don't want your, your burnt offerings. I want you to live your lives. I want your hearts. Living in Willful, habitual sin will impact our relationship with God. There's no way that we can fool ourselves and think that it won't. And there's probably, a, I don't know, an unlimited number of ways that that can happen, but here's a few. One is it really will diminish your intimacy in worship. If you think you can be in sin and come to worship and experience the presence of God in the same way you can if you're not in sin, you're, you're wrong. You can't. It won't work. You can become enslaved to sin. We call this addiction. And it's interesting, you know, again, I think in the, historically addiction was something that was limited to sort of substances. But today we realize that there's any number of different sorts of behaviors that people can become addicted to. And you really become a slave to sin. Those things then control your lives. And that will have an impact on your relationship with God. It destroys your witness. We talked about this recently. We talked about hallowed be your name and how God's name is kept holy and in society through us. People look at you, and, they, and, and if you're the Christian at your place of business, but uh, you got a, you know, a relationship on the side and your co-workers know about that, well, there's an inequity there. That's not going to hold up for very long. They're going to go, well, what's up with that? This little thing about giving the devil a foothold, it's so true. I used the illustration before. I'm dating myself so bad. But back in the day, the door-to-door salesman, you know, the, the Fuller Brush guy or whoever, they would, the Hoover vacuum man, they would knock on the door and then, they, and then you'd open the door and they'd stick their foot in the door because then you couldn't close the door to get rid of them. And so they're there. And they would eventually work their way in and give you their spiel and wear you down. And finally, you'd buy whatever they're selling just to get them out of your house. And that's the way the enemy is. That door opens a little bit and he'll stick his foot in the door and then he'll wear you down. And I, and I want to say this. I do not think we can afford to underestimate the potential for demonic strongholds in our lives in today's day and age. 21st century, we kind of go, you know, that's sort of old school, whatever. I don't know if I buy into all that. Well, I want to tell you, if you don't buy into all that, uh, the enemy will have his way with you. And it won't be pretty. The last thing here is we can lose the assurance of our salvation. Uh, Before you get all worked up, 
Let me just say that I, for one, and I know there may be differences of opinion on this, but I, for one, am a person that believes you can't lose your salvation. That Once you're really in Christ, you're in Christ. But let me tell you what you can lose. is You can lose your confidence in that. You can find yourself in a place where you're going, my life is such a mess, I don't know if I'm really a Christian or not. And I tell you what, that's a frightening place to be. All of these things are impacts on our relationship with God. So what does it mean? What do we do? How do we get out of there? We walk in the light. That's what we do. We just walk in the light. What does that mean? This is profound. It means we don't walk in the darkness. It means you turn the light on. You walk in the light. If anything's hidden, if anything's secret, if anything's covered up, if anything's in the darkness, you've got to bring that into the light. It doesn't mean that you won't ever sin. It means you won't walk in darkness. You become transparent with God. David put it this way in Psalm 139. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. He's giving God full reign to just open his heart up and look into him. Let me, test me and know my anxious thoughts. If there's any offensive way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. It really just means being transparent and honest with God. Just saying, God, I'm open to you. I want you to cause your Holy Spirit to, to look into my heart and see if there's anything there that shouldn't be there. The second sort of deception that uh, John addresses is in verse 8, says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, John is speaking in response to people saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm a new creation in Christ. I have a new nature I, so I have no sin nature. I can't sin. I don't sin. I, I won't sin because I can't. I'm, I, I, I don't sin. It's, 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 I, I'm without sin because I'm, I'm in Christ today. That's how this works. And because of that, it's okay to put myself in positions where I might be tempted. I can go anywhere I want and hang out with whoever I want and pretty much do whatever I want because there's no temptation because I, 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 I don't have a sin nature. I can't sin. And as ridiculous as that might sound to us, I want to say this. I really believe that that is the very reason that leaders and people in positions of power oftentimes fall. Because they believe they're above that. They believe they've worked themselves into this place where nothing can go wrong in my life. And sadly, 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 I think that's the reason most Christian leaders fall. They somehow believe they've attained some sort of status that's above everybody else. And I'm, I'm this great man of God, this great woman of God, and so I'll, I'm going to be okay. And they put themselves in compromising positions. And the next thing you know, the devil, devil sticks his foot in that door. The remedy here is twofold. He says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it has to do with... Uh, Confession and cleansing. The word purity there is katharizo in Greek, and it means to make clean. If we confess our sins to God, He'll make us clean. That is His promise. He's faithful to do that. That means we have to confess the sin. We can't deny it. If we deny it, God can't cleanse us. We have to confess it and bring it to Him in order for Him to do that. And, and again, confession, I, I just want to clarify, is not... Self-condemnation, it's not beating yourself up and saying, oh, I'm so bad, I'm the worst person in the world, I'm lower than whale poo, I'm 
I, I'm just, ter- I'm, you know, whale poo's on the bottom of the ocean. Just, I want to see if you're awake. I make sure you guys are awake. Um, it, it doesn't mean that. It, it really, again, it just means being open and transparent and honest, gut level honest with with God. The uh, the Greek word there is homologio. It's made up of two words. Homo, which means the same, and, and logos, which means word. It's the same word. You know, what, you know what it means to confess? It just means to agree with God. It just simply means to agree with God, to say the same thing God says. God says, you know what? You need my help. And we say, amen, I do. That's what it means to confess. Yes, God, I need your help. It's the same voice, to agree with God. All right. The uh, third deception that John is addressing here is if we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Um, And so again here, this sort of begs the question we talked about a little bit earlier. What is sin? You know, if we don't, if if we claim we haven't sinned, what is sin? Here we go. The trifecta. Man, where's Brogan? Three Greek words in one day. I don't think that's ever happened before. Amartya is the word for sin. It's a term uh, lifted from uh, archery, which means simply to miss the mark. You shoot your arrow, that guy's a bad shot. He's not even on the map. It just means you miss. So, so how do we translate that into the course of our lives? It, it, it's, it's really easy. It's simply this. It's a misappropriation of the good gifts of God. God gives us something good, and we use it for bad purposes. So God's given us speech and language and words. And and, and why do we have those? We have those so that we can encourage and build up and lift each other up and, and speak life and truth. But what do we do with it so often? We use it to tear people down and speak cursing instead of blessing. God gives us intimacy and relationship. And we, we take that and we take it out of the context of marriage, which is the relationship God give, gave us that gift for, and we use it in other places. It's a misappropriation of the gift of God. Anytime we take something that's a good gift of God and we use it for other purposes, we, we miss the mark. The remedy, John says, my dear children, I love this, I, I tell you, I just want to crawl up on John's knee, just sit on his knee for a little while. I want to have just... Don't you think that? Don't you think he was just a sweet, sweet old guy? Just loved people? No, you don't think that? You guys Remember we talked about James? I thought James was kind of cranky, but I just see John. John is loving. He's the, he's the anti-James. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. And here it is. Ah, But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, for the sins of the whole world. What's the remedy? The remedy is this, to know you're not alone. You're not alone. Look, we talked about this earlier today. I think 
Daphne mentioned it. You know, there's times when we go through hardships and trials and struggles in life. And just the reminder that no matter what we go through, God's there. And I want to say this to you. This is important. In the same way that he's there in those times, when we sin and we screw up and we blow it, he is there. He is there. You're not alone. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one.